Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast. They're film and television adaptations and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. <laughs> you know, you always got to try to upstage me, lady. I do. It's important. <laughs> and our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops-Tay territory within the unceded traditional lands of Swetmagulu. And today's text, Tiger Eyes, takes place primarily in Los Alamos, the traditional lands of the Hikaria, Apache, and Pueblo peoples. Yeah, and I was actually very excited that in the film version of this, we get indigenous characters, Brenna. Yes, we do. There's a change that's made in the in the story so that one of the characters is indigenous in the film. And, you know, we'll talk about it. I have some issues, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. in general, it's just nice to be able to talk about a text and a land acknowledgement and not have it be, you know, one completely divor- divorced from the other. Yes, yeah. Every once in a while, we'll do this, and I'll just be like, ah, that little smidgen of disingenuousness comes yeah. through. <laughs> like, okay, we're going to do this, and then we're going to acknowledge there are no indigenous characters. This is not an indigenous text. And yeah, it's it's nice to actually be able to say the two are connected. Yeah, it definitely. And um, it's interesting, too, because, well, we'll talk about the choices that are made. But in general, you know, Debbie Reese talks a lot about the erasure of Indigenous people in children's literature and Mm -hmm. the desire to sort of think of indigeneity as like a historical fact, not a present reality. Yes. And and here, I think, successes and failures notwithstanding, the film is actually trying to acknowledge that like Mm -hmm. Indigenous people exist in the modern world. So I give it credit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... Tiger Eyes. This is our second Judy Bloom text. And I was telling you just before we started, in a way, I'm almost glad that we read this second because I think I honestly prefer it to Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, if only because this is a more adult text. Yeah, definitely. So our protagonist here is 15, and she's an older 15, and she's going through a family trauma all of which means that the sort of thoughts she's having and the questions she's asking are quite a bit more mature than the more middle grade fare we had in Are You There, mm-hmm. God? It's Me, Margaret. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm not going back on my word and saying, oh, well, I no longer like Are You There, God? It's <laughs> Me, Margaret. More that Judy Bloom can actually do more with this title because mm-hmm. not just the character is older, but also she is tackling some more mature themes. This isn't a coming of age tale, right? This is a pretty heavy book about mm-hmm. grief and loss and responsibility. Yes, definitely. So I guess I should maybe tell everybody what it's about, hey? For sure. Yeah, I don't have a good sense. Is this one of her more popular books? You know, I don't know. I don't think it has the same sort of social cachet as something like, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Mm-hmm. But I do know a lot of teenage girls who read this book. Okay. And I think it's definitely one of the books that if Judy Bloom clicks with you, she clicks with you around middle grade. And this is one of the books that kind of carries you into your teen years. Okay. So I don't think it's as culturally resonant maybe as some other Judy Bloom titles, but I think it's important to the people who have read it, if that makes sense. Right. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. 
So um, Tiger Eyes is from 1981. Joe and I were just remarking on the fact that this book is older than us. Joe, mm -hmm. this book is eligible for the COVID vaccine in BC. <laughs> ah, congratulations, Tiger Eyes. <laughs> but it doesn't feel like it. It feels no. incredibly fresh and contemporary. Yes. Yeah, I think any teen could read it now and not really feel i mean there's no cell phones but other than that it doesn't really feel dated mm -hmm. which again to me there's little things that feel like testaments to judy bloom's longevity as mm -hmm. a writer mm -hmm. and that's definitely one of those it's this timelessness to her books that i find really just refreshing absolutely and this one opens with a tragedy so our protagonist is davy wexler and Davy and her brother Jason and her mom Gwen are surviving the death of Davy's father. And it's a violent death. So mm -hmm. they own a 7-Eleven franchise, I guess. And Adam is shot to death at a holdup mm -hmm. in the convenience store. And this takes place at the beginning of the book in Atlantic City. And Davy is really failing to come to terms with it when we meet her at the beginning of the book she's sort of she has a difficult time crying she's not eating she's not really engaging with the world and she's about to start high school and she keeps fainting from anxiety and having panic attacks so she's really she's struggling so too she doesn't really realize but so too is her mom and so the solution that they come to is to go and stay with their aunt and uncle, uh, Davy's aunt and uncle. So it's her brother's sister and her yeah. husband, uh, Bitsy and Walter. And they are... Love it. They're totally a Bitsy and a Walter. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> but they have not had a relationship with the family. So I get the sense, I think, that Davy's family are like the black sheep on both sides, and they haven't really had larger connections to extended family. Mm -hmm. It definitely comes out in a key interaction with Walter later in the book where he talks about how Adam essentially ruined his life by not amounting to much and her mother got pregnant too young. And mm -hmm. you're just like, oh, okay. Hey, it's a really bad look on Walter. <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. talk about it. But I think it's also confirmation that that's probably one of the reasons why they haven't had a great relationship with Walter and Bitsy. Totally. And it should be noted that Adam you know, ran this convenience store, he is also an artist. And part mm -hmm. of the sort of tension with Walter and Bitsy is that they don't really see art as like a viable career. Well, they're very practical people, right? Like yes. it's very much get jobs, go to university, do the things that you're supposed to do and what society expects you follow the rules. Totally. And so they end up staying with Bitsy and Walter in Los Alamos, which I found to be a great setting for this oh, story. So Walter like works in the weapons area of Los Alamos, like he's a nuclear scientist, and he specifically works on weaponry, mm -hmm. which Davy finds really hard to accept or to be comfortable with. Mm -hmm. But they're also the sort of upper middle class, wealthy, intellectual class of people working at Los Alamos are a very rarefied and protected group of people, right? Mm -hmm. They live separate from the rest of New Mexico. They have no crime. Mm -hmm. It's like a gated community. It's yeah, it's like a whole gated city. They call it the hill, right? And it's mostly just white people. And what I think is most interesting about this book is the way race comes into 
you know, considering this is a book from like 1981 and we have this white teen girl protagonist, race comes up a lot in this story. And Bloom is very interested in the way people like Walter and Bitsy are experiencing the world. Mm -hmm. You're right that it's not a coming of age, but part of Davy's maturation is like really recognizing that she doesn't want to be like Walter and Bitsy yes. and live in this insular world and have this like cookie cutter life. Mm -hmm. But it's further complicated by the fact that Bitsy and Walter were never able to have kids, but they wanted them. Yeah. And so for Bitsy in particular, having the family here is like, she starts to exert an extreme amount of control over the children. Just a touch. Just a yeah. little bit, Brenna. Come on. <laughs> um, but also, we have a love interest. We have a boy who calls himself Wolf, mm -hmm. who Davy meets in a canyon and who becomes a close friend and somebody who she definitely has like a crush on. Yeah. And that, I think, is one of the key distinctions between the book and the film is yes. that it feels unrequited in the book, whereas mm -hmm. it is a full-fledged romance in the film. And one of my favorite things about the book, actually, is the idea of... Not every older boy a girl is interested in too young is a skis. A mm -hmm. lot of them are. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> a lot of them are. But I really love the idea. I love the idea that he's that it's not requited, that this is just a fascination that she has and something she would love to pursue, but that he's got like another life. He's got life. his own stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a, he's sweet. He's a sweet boy. And you can see why she feels the way she does about him. But it's not, he's never inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's just a very refreshing way of telling this story, which is such a common story, by the way. Like literally every 15 year old girl has a crush on a boy she shouldn't. Oh, sure. Yeah. She also has a friend named Jane. Oh, Jane. Jane to me is sort of the archetype of the Los Alamos community. She's mm. the A student. She's popular. She's driven. She's focused. Her parents have this whole plan for her. She's got a secret drinking problem. <laughs> she's cracking <laughs> under the pressure. She's yes. throwing up on cars after making out yes. strange boys. Oh, Jane. Exactly. And Walter and Bitsy are like, why can't you be more like Jane? And Davy's mm -hmm. like, wow. <laughs> We're so proud of you that you've made friends with such a well-respected family. Oh, Walter and Bitsy. <laughs> and the backdrop of all of this is that Gwen, Davy's mom, is really losing touch with Everything. her ability to, yeah, do anything. She basically gives up parenting her children. She lets Bitsy and Walter take over everything. And Eventually, I guess the emotional climax of the novel really is Davy finding the strength to tell her mom how much she misses her and how much she needs her to kind of like snap back into reality. Mm -hmm. And Gwen finding the ability to do that and then against the wishes, desires, hopes, dreams of Bitsy, <laughs> mm -hmm. they return to Atlantic City and Gwen starts to sort of build a life for the little family without Adam. And so they sort of have this year. The novel basically takes place over this first year of grief mm -hmm. that the family's experiencing. Oh, I left out the part where Walter fully slaps Davy, which is like, Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. And you think, okay, well, it's 1981. It was a little bit of a different thing. Like I, I was smacked as a child, like on the butt. Mm -hmm. But I didn't expect them to keep it for the film. And yet there it was. <laughs> yeah, it really was. And it really feels 
it's a big deal in the book. It, it's mm-hmm. inappropriate in the book, but it feels like a way bigger deal in the film. It does, yeah. Okay, so there's there's a lot to unpack So much! Here. I didn't really realize until I started doing the plot how many things are important. Because it feels like such a simple story, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's just this girl working through her grief, and her mother is absent, and she's got these controlling new wannabe parent figures. But the one thing that I want to just quickly touch on is that it's not just that Davy finds her strength and she comes to process her grief. There's obviously lots of great moments where she reconnects with a surrogate father figure who turns out, of course, to be Mm. Wolf, the boy that she has a crush with. It's his dad who's dying in the hospital. Mm -hmm. But I love how interconnected everything in the book is. Like Gwen's mom gets a job working at the R&D, the research and development place. And we didn't say it, And I just want to make it clear because I only knew about this because of graphic novels, but Los Alamos is where they developed the nuclear weapons that were dropped on Japan. Yeah, yeah, that's important context to have. I don't think it really comes into play as much as I expected initially, except for the fact that Walter is presented as a very kind and gentle man. And one of Mm -hmm. Davy's struggles with reconciliation, like in terms of where she's at and who these people are in her life is Walter seems nice, but he works in developing weapons of mass extinction. Mm-hmm. I think that this whole thing with Walter lands differently for us as readers now. Mm-hmm. If we think about 1981, we're at the tail yeah. end of the Cold War, we're definitely very much still in the era of duck and cover. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the fragility and the anxiety that a lot of teenagers who grew up in the Cold War lived with. I mm-hmm. think that's part of what Bloom is tapping into here that doesn't resonate for us nearly so much, thankfully, now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, to the point where I think everyone who would have read this in 81 and probably through the 80s would have immediately made the connection of where she is and what that means. Whereas I think for us, it's like, who is Oppenheimer again? Why does it matter that she's in his bathtub and that Jane lives in that house? And it's like, hmm. I don't want to say that it's more of a cutesy anecdotal, oh, that's something that happened in the past, but we have not lived under threat of nuclear mm-hmm. extinction for, thankfully, a fair amount of time. Yeah, thankfully. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> We're just dealing with our own issues now. Yeah, it's always something. But it's true. I think that was a very particular, um, a very particular anxiety that Bloom is tapping into. Mm-hmm. The other piece that really struck me, and again, I don't know how relevant this is to the times compared to now, but Davy ends up saving herself and fixing her relationship with her mother in part because she goes to therapy. Mm-hmm. And I really thought that that was important. And I was really, I think frustrated is too strong a word. Annoyed is too strong a word. But I was a little bit peeved that they remove that from the film because I think it normalizes going and speaking to someone and seeking professional help when you have Mm -hmm. undergone trauma. I was so impressed with the way that was handled in the book. Mm -hmm. I thought that Davy's reluctance to go to see the therapist was really authentic and real. I thought that the the struggle that she has to even articulate herself to the therapist and then mm-hmm. her discomfort with how to even broach 
the results of the discussions with the therapist with her mother like I felt like all of that was so authentic and it's such Mm -hmm. a nice way of broaching what is such a complex and emotional thing for people and in 1981 to have the idea of a teenager going into therapy so just matter of fact and like obviously you've been through a lot of trauma and you need this Mm -hmm. yeah I was disappointed that it wasn't in the film as well because I think it's a really you know Not that we read books because they're public service announcements, but in this case, what a valuable public service announcement to include, you know? Yes, absolutely. That that was honestly my big takeaway from the end of the book is because you you know that they're going to kind of come out of it all right. Although Mm -hmm. I will admit for a hot second, I was very worried that her mother was going to accept the marriage proposal from douchebag imposter guy from the lab. Oof. But um, cool. I mean, I should have trusted Judy. Judy would never do that to us. <laughs> it's such a nice moment when we see Gwen come out of herself and realize that she needs to come to the defense of her children. Not that they're under any harm from mm. Bitsy and Walter, but that Bitsy and Walter want to turn them into people they aren't, right? They want yeah. to turn them into different people. And Gwen's ability to finally recognize and then step in, oh, that made me cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I just think it's so it's so valuable because this book doesn't really have villains. No. There almost isn't even conflict. It's almost like a slice of life. And I really, I mean, obviously we appreciate that from Judy Bloom, but in this particular case, I liked that Bitsy and Walter don't have nefarious aims with this. Like, Bitsy obviously wants them to stay because she loves them and she wishes that she had children of her own. And Walter is accommodating to that. You know, he doesn't always get along with them, but it's just because he's a little bit strict. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they don't set out to say, we're going to change these kids. We're going to reform them. They're going to be our kids. It's, you know, it's just something that happens. Mm -hmm. And it's not until Gwen comes out of her fugue state and realizes, no, these kids are mine. They're my responsibility. And I need to be the mother that they need at this point. But that's also just really highly compelling. Like the idea that it's really hard to be an adult and lose someone. And Mm -hmm. I can't imagine also having to parent two children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's very much told from Davy's perspective. And so we are frustrated with Gwen, right? Because Davy is frustrated with Gwen. And we want Gwen to step up because Davy wants Gwen to step up. And we want Gwen to snap out of it because Davy Mm -hmm. wants Gwen to snap out of it. But (laughs) when we finally get to hear from Gwen, we're also like, oh, yeah, right. You're, Mm. You're grieving and you've been through hell and... Sorry, I got so mad at you there for a minute. (laughs) You know, like it's, there's such a lot of humanity in this book. I really, um, I really loved it. I was surprised by how contemporary and modern it felt to me. And I was surprised, I mean, not surprised that I empathize with Gwen, obviously, because I am at the age and stage of life for the mom characters. Like I've really, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. really loved me some mom characters. You sure do. Yep. But I think Gwen in particular, you know, when when we finally hear from her, when she and Davy are finally able to open up to each other, it's a really beautiful moment, I think. Mm -hmm. I also like that Gwen doesn't just immediately descend into a kind of waking comatose state. Mm -hmm. Like, she is there up until the point where she realizes she can lean on Bitsy and Walter. Yes. And then at that point, she just kind of quietly falls apart and stops attending dinners and stops leaving the bedroom, much in the way that Davy was doing before Mm -hmm. her own mother pushed her to go back to school. So I 
I love the mother-daughter parallels in that regard, but I also love that and we're not quite ready to transition to the film. We're nearly there, but that's one of the little things that I didn't quite love about the film. Yeah, I agree. I think it's really important that we see how Gwen holds it together until she doesn't have to anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Like, she keeps the family afloat. She makes the decision to go to Los Alamos. She, like, she is a mother, right? She's not mm -hmm. completely checked out. She's not fallen apart. And there is a span of weeks between the funeral and when they go to Los Alamos, when Gwen is holding on, right? And mm -hmm. so by the time she knows her kids are safe, she knows there's a caregiver there, and she can let go, she's already kind of been through hell at that mm -hmm. point. And, and I think that that's really important. And you're right, we lose that they basically go straight from the funeral to Los Alamos in the film. Yeah. And we never really get to see Gwen be strong before no. we see her fall apart. And I think that is a loss in the character. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know that Judy Bloom censored part of this book voluntarily? I did see that, but why don't you tell me all about it? <laughs> so in her memoir, which is a really good read, by the way, I read it years and years and years ago. I may revisit it. In it, she talks about how in the original draft of this book, there's a scene where Davy masturbates while thinking about Wolf. And mm -hmm. Judy Bloom has visited masturbation in her books before. It's not new mm -hmm. for Jude. Um, but <laughs> what her editor said was like, you can leave this in, but it's going to cause a lot of controversy. Right. And if you take it out, the book will find itself into the hands of more kids, which is a calculus uh, that young adult writers have to do all the time, right? Yeah, I really, that... Oof, it got my back up when I read it because <laughs> I don't disagree, but I also hate that we have to continue having these conversations because we're treating childhood experimentation and sexuality. It's a natural part of coming of age and to have to censor yourself because you know that if you don't, your work will not get to as many readers. That just sucks. Yeah. I remember this part in her memoir, she talks about how she had to decide what was the most important thing in the book, right? Mm -hmm. And for her, the most important thing in the book was having this really frank discussion about grief and trauma and what right. that does. And so in the hopes of more kids having that experience, seeing it, she excised some of the sexuality stuff that was mm -hmm. in the book. But the flip side is... This book is still on the most frequently challenged books of the 90s list. Yeah, I saw so that. it's like, good <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for that. Now I'm going to have to censor that. <laughs> no, I tried. I mean, I didn't put a lot of legwork in to find out why, but I can't figure out what is it in this book that would have gotten it flagged. It just, it baffles. I... <laughs> So I think it has to do with the violence and the death. And then I also think it has to do with the sort of conversation around race, because don't forget one of the things that gets books the most challenged, according to the ALA anyway, are discussions that put America in a bad light. And like, right, yes. I think the way the people of Los Alamos think about race, particularly in the 80s and 90s at the end of the Cold War, like, I don't think that was a conversation people wanted to have and read about. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, because it was all about America coming together and being strong in the face of an international threat, not the idea that, ooh, we're maybe not so great to our own citizens who don't look like the quote-unquote majority. Right? And yeah, I mean, I get why parents feel uncomfortable about 
I don't agree with it, but I get why parents feel uncomfortable about sex. I certainly get why parents feel uncomfortable about violence. I think that's my trigger point. I really don't want my kiddo seeing violent stuff, but <laughs> I find it I find it creepy and weird that we don't want our kids to read like critical conversations about the nation state. Like that to me is just if you heard about people in like a country with a dictator doing that, you'd be like, yeah, mm -hmm. those yeah. poor people trapped. In that. And then you look at the reason why books get put on the ALA most challenged list. And it's so often like, mm, didn't like the way it talked about America. You're like, what? Yeah. Let me ask you this, Brenna. Mm. Are you a communist? <laughs> <laughs> I caught you when you were drinking, didn't you I? Did. Damn, I wanted a bigger reaction. <laughs> <laughs> number one yes obviously number two <laughs> uh. <laughs> it is wild right because that's what walter keeps telling davy that he's yeah. he's protecting america mm -hmm. from people who want to do them harm and it's like you know the only people who ever did harm with nuclear weapons was mm -hmm. america yeah even little jace understands that because he he asked Bitsy when he gets the tour of the oh facility. He's like, how many people died from this bomb? She's just like, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's awful. A lot. And also, before we transition, can we talk about Bitsy a little bit? She's mm -hmm. a very interesting character to me because in so many ways, she's this model of how post-war society really didn't work for so many women. Yeah. Because, you know... Bitsy and Walter have bought this big, beautiful house, right? Mm -hmm. That was supposed to be full of kids. Yep. And when that didn't happen, there was no plan B for Bitsy. So she... What are you talking about, Brenna? She's joined a bunch of social committees and she's got a very active calendar. <laughs> she, you know, she gives, she volunteers to give tours of weaponry two mm -hmm. days a week. And she does a bunch of charitable work. But the idea that Bitsy would have... I don't know, something of her own that doesn't necessarily have to be a career. Obviously, I'm the kind of person who, for whom a career is really important, but I know that's not everybody. But like, right. even if she had sort of one volunteer cause that she was devoted to, but that's not what she has. She has a bunch of social groups that raise a little bit of money for various charities, right? Mm -hmm. It's fascinating to me that for Bitsy, the arrival of these children in her life is really a second chance at the life she was, you know, quote unquote, supposed to have. Yeah. We never get to see any growth from Bitsy because of the perspective from which the story is told. But like, mm -hmm. I so desperately wanted the book to end with, oh, and you know what? P.S. Actually, Bitsy went back to school. She's doing a Bachelor of Women's <laughs> Studies and really enjoying it. <laughs> she went to Sarah Lawrence as a mature <laughs> student. You know? Like, I just wanted something for Bitsy out of the story because it's interesting. In her adult fiction, Bloom often writes about women like Bitsy. Right. who find themselves so trapped. And and I just would love to know what mm -hmm. the rest of Bitsy's story is because she's insufferable. <laughs> she is that way for a reason, right? Yeah, she is a bit of a tragic figure, but of course, Davy wouldn't see it that way. So we don't really see it that way. I think, yeah. you know, you can look between the lines and see everything there. But yeah. Okay, well, let's transition now and maybe we can talk about how she's portrayed in the film. Yeah. I wonder what it's like to be dead. I hope it's peaceful, like you're floating. I hope you don't keep thinking about how you died or why. 
how it makes no sense. The thing about it is, it's all so final. We're just so happy you're here. We want you to have a wonderful time. It's not like we're on vacation, Aunt Bitsy. I know that, Davy. Where are you from, anyway? Atlantic City. Oh, that's in California, right? New Jersey. Oh, New Jersey. What's wrong with mom? Everything's gonna be alright. So what's your name? You can call me Tiger. So what division is your dad in? My dad. He's uh, away. Say that you miss daddy. No, you say it! Please don't make this harder than it has to be. If you think my life is just so easy, you're wrong. You have a bright smile, Tiger. Sad eyes. You want to talk about it? All right. So Tiger Eyes was made a significantly lengthy time after the book came out. So this is a <laughs> 2016 film. And of course, this is the only feature film that Judy Bloom has ever consented to having done on her work, apart from the forthcoming Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret feature, which is currently filming. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming the reason she consented is because she co-wrote this with her son, Lawrence Bloom, and he directs. And the movie stars Willa Holland as Davy, Amy Jo Johnson as her mom, Gwen, Tatanka Means as Wolf, Elise Aburl as Jane, Cynthia Stevenson as Aunt Bitsy, Forrest Fire as Walter, and Russell Means as Mr. Ortiz. And I didn't realize until I was doing the research that Russell Means is the father of Tatanka Means. And sadly, he actually passed away shortly after this film was done, just like his character does in the film. Yeah, um, Tatanka Means is carrying his actual father's actual urn in the funeral scene. Ugh, that is boo. I yeah. mean, that just makes me feel sad. <laughs> uh, Russell Means is actually a really important Native American activist. He was a leader of the American Indian movement in the 1970s. So I thought it was interesting to see him in this role because obviously Tatanka's character is really interested in connecting mm-hmm. his contemporary life to his culture in ways that can be like explained to someone like Davy. And so it's just, I just thought it was that was interesting. Yeah. So the film does follow, for the most part, the trajectory of the book. I think the biggest thing for me is that it somehow feels rushed in every yes. instance. So yes. like, there's no time were just significant moments even though when you watch the film there's a ton of just moments of Davy looking out at the sky or the absolutely gorgeous landscape and scenery but it feels like we're hitting the highlights of the book as opposed to letting things simmer and really come to a head organically and I'm not gonna lie I found the film disappointing in a lot of ways because it just doesn't it doesn't have the same energy that I want or expected, particularly considering who the people who make this movie are. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, right? The book to me is very quiet. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the emotional beats really sneak up on you. Yeah. And the film is not, and they don't. (laughs) 
No. <laughs> That's my synopsis. It almost feels rote a lot of the time. Yeah. Like I can see people watching this and having it adhere to what they consider to be not great YA because this really does yeah. feel like, oh, right, we've got alcoholism, we've got some grief, we've got shrill parents, we've got, you know, a love story that isn't approved of and all of the usual kinds of things. It's, it's very YA bingo. It is very tragically YA bingo. It is. But, I mean, as we teased, one of the changes that they make is the fact that we have indigenous content as opposed to, uh, in the book, Wolf is Hispanic. Yeah, and in the book, there's this really sort of explicit conversation about how race functions in Los Alamos in particular and New Mexico more generally. And um, one of the things that Davy is really struck by when she arrives in Los Alamos is how white it is compared to her more cosmopolitan existence in Atlantic City, mm-hmm. where there was a lot more sort of diversity. And Davy reflects on the fact that there should be, right, in, in New Mexico generally, there are Hispanic folks and there are indigenous folks and mm-hmm. there are white folks. But in Los Alamos, you only see white folks. Yeah. And then she talks about how, like, the sort of racial stratification at the lab is such that anybody assumes that anyone Hispanic at the lab is care staff. Mm-hmm. And in the book, Wolf is training to work in the lab eventually. Yes. Maybe. He's sort of hems and haws and his father has been a caretaker at the lab and so there's all of this conversation about class and stratification Mm -hmm. and so on the one hand the film is doing something really interesting by asking us to think about those same conversations in terms of indigenous people Mm -hmm. and yet i feel like it pulls a lot of the punches because bitsy is not explicitly racist in the film the way she is in the book right race doesn't come up as a conversation at school in the film the way it does in the book. And Mm so we lose the overwhelming whiteness of Los Alamos that Davy is critiquing from the point that she actually arrives in the town, which I think is a shame because that's a a layer that to me made the book feel really contemporary. Actually, it made it not feel like it was set in 1981. Mm -hmm. And so I missed it when it wasn't there. Yeah. uh, (laughs) I was going to say the other issue I have with the way indigeneity gets discussed in the film is you know and I want to be careful because I think I think yeah I think I know where you're going with this I think Tatanka means and Russell means both do really good jobs with the roles and I think I was reading some contemporary reviews that talked about how both characters really embody a sense of that desire to live authentically as oneself. And I don't Mm -hmm. want to take anything away from that when I say that I think the film is often making use of both characters as this... Indigenous mystic saviors? That's exactly it, yeah. Yeah. That discussion of their culture and the experiences that we have... The experiences that we have, you know, among the Pueblo, for example, in those scenes, they're very much about Davy's understanding of her yes. own progression as a person. And they're not really about Wolf at all. And mm-hmm. that, to me, is a real shame because in the book, as a Hispanic character, Wolf sort of using Spanish and opening Davy's world up in different ways that challenges the version of Los Alamos that that Bitsy wants her to see is really powerful. And instead what we get is like a sort of 
here's like this token holy scene that's mm-hmm. for only for Davy's benefit. And there's like there's this really uncomfortable part in the shooting where the focus of one of those very spiritual scenes ultimately ends up being on Wolf watching Davy yeah. experience this. But she's which is not even experiencing it. My understanding no. of the scene, so they, they go so that he can reconnect with other members of the community who n- know his father and who want mm-hmm. to, like, help him to process what's happening. And she happens to tag along. So they're they're looking at each other across the fire. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, the scene isn't even doing what I thought it was going to do, which is what you're suggesting. We're seeing the ceremony through her eyes. It's not even through her eyes because she's making eyes at him. So it's Mm -hmm. like she's not even processing what's happening. Because I wanted that scene to at least be, oh, okay, she gets to see how a community can help you to heal from grief and how you need to have ties to people who love you because that's really what her story is all about and how she loses that when her mom is absent. And here instead, I was like, are we just doing YA romance? Like, this is tantamount to we're at the beach and there's a fire and we make eyes and we're falling in love. Because that's what it felt like to me. And I liked it even less as a result. I can tell you everything that's wrong with this film adaptation from its own press release. Can I read you (laughs) what's in its own press release? Yes. In the press release, we are told that there's this Davy, she's going through all this turmoil, but then she meets Wolf. And we're told, Mm. quote... Their intense relationship brings Davy back from the edge as she Ugh. finds the courage to embark on the first great adventure of her life. Oh, no. What? No. No. <laughs> That's not what the book's about. It's not what the film's about. But it's that that attempt of the film to turn the love story into yes. the central relationship mm-hmm. is the mistake, right? Because yes. the emotional climax of the book, as we've already said, is the coming together of Davy and Gwen. Yeah. And Gwen and Davy reconnecting and realizing their shared grief. But that gets such short shrift in the film mm-hmm. <laughs> as a result of the focus on the romance. Can I write an open letter to Hollywood? It's not always about romance. We don't uh, always need the romance. Yeah. Because that was actually one of the things I really liked about the book is yeah. the fact that as soon as Wolf's father dies, he is gone. Bye. <laughs> and and not because he doesn't care about Davy, but because... Because it's not about her. It's not about her. <laughs> yeah. And what she has to come to realize is that it wasn't really about him either, right? Like no. he was giving her the space to process her grief and to work through her issues. And I like that she leaves the note for him in the hope that one day they can maybe reconnect. But Judy Bloom, as she always does, leaves everything open-ended. We don't see Wolf again. We don't know if he gets the note or anything because mm-hmm. it doesn't ultimately matter. No. Whereas in the film, Wolf never leaves. He's there the whole time. (laughs) He's there the whole time. I don't understand it. I legitimately was like, why did Judy Bloom and Lawrence Bloom write it this way? I don't get it. No, I don't get it either. I mean, I think probably there's this sense that you need a love story to hang a YA story on that a young woman's coming of age or a young woman's sort of coming to terms without a love story feels Mm -hmm. unfinished for a lot of audiences allegedly but if anybody has the clout to be like we're not doing that surely it's judy bloom when she hasn't allowed anybody to adapt her texts ever Mm -hmm. 
so I don't get it. I was saying to Joe in text this week, I was like, I want to be at Thanksgiving dinner when they were like negotiating the changes to the Mm-hmm. what was that like because <laughs> this is a very tiny production like i was yeah. looking at the box office and this movie made zero dollars that's not true it made twenty seven thousand dollars brenna and that's because wow. it only opened in one theater in chicago and then it went to video oh wow so like this was never going to be a big film so part of me is like why did you do this why are you trying to placate mass audiences with a ya romance then Unfortunately, I'm going to lay a lot of the blame on Lawrence Bloom, and not Mm -hmm. just because of the script, which he co-wrote, but I think the movie itself is just really flat and kind of uninspiring. Mm -hmm. There's way too much of a reliance on super emo soft rock music. Mm -hmm. Poor Michelle Branch, by the way. Ouch. She got raked (laughs) over the coals in a bunch of those reviews, didn't she? She really did. Don't use Michelle Branch as your on your soundtrack, folks. (laughs) People don't like it. No, they don't. (laughs) But no, it's like the the critical consensus was very much like this is a mediocre to average film. The performances are pretty good, but the staging, the direction, even stuff like the cinematography, a lot of people said that it kind of felt like a made-for-television film, and I don't disagree with the statement. I think my thing is that I was ready to allow it to look a little bit cheap and a little bit flat and maybe Mm -hmm. not as polished because we've seen that that doesn't have to impact it emotionally from when we watch Speak. I was just going to say Speak. Speak is the exact one I was thinking of here. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. That film is still incredibly powerful. It's still got that raw power and those Mm -hmm. great performances, even though, yes, it is hampered by a shoestring budget. And I really wanted that from this film, Brenna. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't feel anything emotionally during this movie. And... That bothered me a lot because I was feeling lots of things when I read this book. Lawrence Bloom has had a very strange career. Like I was reading up about him and I don't Mm -mm. get it. So he was like an AD and then a director like in the 80s for like one TV show. And then he directed something in the 90s like once. And then directed one thing in the aughts. (laughs) <laughs> and the aughts, and then he got his the rights to his mom's book for 2012, and it's and then he hasn't done anything since. And I just no, he's the wrong choice for this project. You can understand why, choice. but he's not the right choice. Strong mother boy vibes, <laughs> very much so. <laughs> it's a shame because the book deserved a better film. Yes, I know Judy Bloom has co-writing credit on this film but i wonder if the relationship was just too close for this to ever have been Mm -hmm. you know what i mean i was disappointed in the film for all the same reasons you were not least because like you got the pink power ranger and you're just totally gonna waste her like this oh boy yeah they did our girl (laughs) wrong didn't they They did our girl so wrong honestly i was like oh she's already on pills at the funeral at the funeral yes we never get to see a moment of strength. So sorry, everybody. Amy Jo Johnson plays mm-hmm. Gwen, which Joe already said <laughs> up the top. If you didn't know, she was the pink Power Ranger. She was also the best thing about Felicity. Mm-hmm. She's a very she's, she's a very capable actress, actress. With a huge emotional range. Like, you yeah. just have to watch. I know I'm dating myself here, but you just have to watch from Felicity to know. She's got a huge emotional range. Yeah. And instead, what we do is we discount her capacity 
from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So instead of being a woman who gets finally pushed over the edge, what we see is a woman who was never hanging on to begin with. And I think that it's, I think it's a real shame because the way they conceive of Gwen, you have to lose the emotional relationship between Gwen and Davy because it wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. Mm. And I think that choice all the way down is a mistake. But like that with all the parents too, right? I mean, yeah. you, you could argue that this film is really trading in stock types. You know, Bitsy mm-hmm. is just shrill and Walter is so angry right from the get-go. You know, yeah. it really felt like the film misunderstands who these characters are. I felt like the only one it kind of got right is Jane, but also we're introducing her alcoholism in her very mm-hmm. first interaction it works in the book that we don't get any resolution with Jane because it's not part of Davy's story and Davy tries to take it as far as she can, but ultimately Jane has to make that decision and she doesn't. Whereas in the film, it just kind of feels like, oh, remember that alcoholism thing? She puked on that car once. Cool. We're done. <laughs> yeah. It's dropped storylines in the film, whereas in the book, it felt messy because that's how life is. Yeah. The film, I think, would have been better off to maybe cut some of the beats, maybe cut out Wolf entirely, honestly, of the film version and just focus on the relationships within the family. I don't know. I don't know what it would have taken to give the film the space it needed to do this well, but unfortunately, it didn't have it. Yeah. It's tough, too, because I I actually really did quite like Tatanka as well as Willa Holland. I think they're both trying as best they can and i think they're good but it's just not the right movie like i'd love to see a romantic Mm -hmm. drama with the two of them yeah but this is supposed to be a movie about grief well that's the thing right they had really good chemistry i didn't want them to have chemistry (laughs) right Right? like yeah i wanted i wanted wolf to be the distant figure i mean part of what wolf is in the book right is this very comfortable place to park some feelings Mm -hmm. because if you park them there, you don't have to deal with the real life implications of what you're going through. Yes. And we lose all of that by turning him into an actual love interest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do we understand this better than the author? <laughs> Judy. I think we just understand it better than Lawrence. Maybe. I think that. that's ultimately yeah. what's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. Brenda, do you want to play some YA bingo? Yes, I am ready to go. Bingo. Not a good bingo. All right, so what have you got? I have inclusion flip. Okay, yes. Ish. Ish. I mean, usually we use that to mean like a white character, but I think actually that's one of my biggest disappointments in the film is that I think it could have been a really much more interesting conversation around indigeneity if some of those larger race conversations had been part of the whole story mm-hmm. basically i need i needed bitsy to be a racist for this to all work out for me there we go this is clearly <laughs> what the film was missing <laughs> um we'll go with a dead body oh yes 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 definitely a dead body um is it stunt casting to cast the pink power ranger or is that just for me no that's just for you i think although i will <laughs> confide that i also had the thought and then i chastised myself <laughs> Um, I I have good friendships for the book. Okay. I don't think there's good friendships in the film, but I do think that Wolf is the exact friend that she needs in the way that he is in the book. And I also think that her friendship with Jane is much more interesting in the book than in the film. And I think 
you know, they are trying to be good friends to each other as they're mm-hmm. both completely way too messed up to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, <laughs> oh, we're both going through bad things. So let's be friends. <laughs> oh, wait, we made a mistake. <laughs> exactly. So that's it. That's all I got. Okay. On the flip side, I'm going to say a hollow romance. This isn't, again, how we normally use it, but I feel like it's a hollow romance in the film because it's not. It's supposed not a to be a romance. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm also going to put in abuse. And Ooh. part of that is for the slap heard around the world. But also, <laughs> I think just because the way that Davy is treated by most of these adults is actually it's lacking recognition of her grief in an abusive fashion where when she has to go to a canyon and nearly fall down a rock cliff to find Solace, like, there's yeah. some abuse going on there. Okay, I'll buy that. Neglect, at least. We took neglect off the board. This is true. Yeah, we kind of folded mm-hmm. neglect into abuse, so. Yeah. You can push back on me on this one, but I am kind of considering this a road trip narrative. It's like a one-year road trip. <laughs> No, get out of here. Go away. No. (laughs) You can't have it. And the final one is it's never explicitly said, but Ruben in the film is clearly a queer character. Oh, yeah. Good point. Okay. I'll give it to you for the extreme secondariness of his use there. Oh, sure. Yeah. But when he turns up with a purple streak in his hair, (laughs) the gator goes off. Oh, Ruben. Oh, Ruben. Okay. Well, um, we got nothing. No. No. This was a real disappointment for such a beautiful book, I have to say. Yeah, this is a hard recommend on the book and a completely skippable film. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Okay, well, well, Brenna, where where are we headed next? Okay, so I'm very excited, Joe, because next week we are going to talk about... The greatest piece of art oh my ever made stop, in the history it. of mankind, and maybe even before humans existed, High School Musical, the musical, the series. <sighs> A, the fact that you lose breath just trying <laughs> to get the whole so title bad. out is obnoxious. <laughs> I'm going to say it so many times. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. Um yeah, so folks, we're going to be talking at least about the first season and hopefully the first couple of episodes of season two. We're going to see what we can get our hands on. Yes. Yeah. So that's our mini-sode coming up next week. And then what's our next full-length book? Oh, uh, don't throw things at your podcast feed, folks, but. <laughs> <gasps> this is a Brenna programming double bill, this folks. Is... A Brenna programming double bill. I have decided that Joe and I need to take on Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card, the book oh. from 1985 and the film from 2013. I want to yeah. say right now and right here mm-hmm. that everyone within the sound of my voice is forbidden from buying the book. If you're going to read along with us, library or download, we'll talk about why if you're not familiar. We'll talk all about it on the show. Yes. Yeah, uh, not even a problematic fave, just problematic. But I will say I actually do enjoy this book, mm-hmm. just not the person. This is like an H.P. Lovecraft equivalent where human garbage, actually kind of like a J.K. Rowling now. Hmm. Yeah. So many people. It's a hard one for a lot of people because much like the more recent controversy around can I read or not read J.K. Rowling's books and not be a garbage person. Yeah. 
In many ways, for me anyway, and I think for a lot of millennials, Orson Scott Card was the first person we had to confront this conversation about. Because if you were kind of a bookish teenager who kept to yourself, kind of nerdy, Ender's Game probably meant a lot to you at some Mm -hmm. point in your life. And it's a hard one. So I don't know. I think it's finally time, Joe, for us to reread it and uh, and confront the uh, the big old homophobic elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. I'm actually I'm excited for this conversation. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so we've got High School Musical, the musical, the series. No, you got to say it like this. High School Musical, the musical, the series. I will not. I am not part of cheer camp. Brenna. <laughs> I'm so but... happy that you're watching it. But speaking of camp, folks, we are also gently encouraging you to read along with us because we have now entered a new book club month. So remember, too, that we are reading Lev Rosen's Camp and we're asking for your camp stories, both about the book itself and any other camp experiences you might have had as a young adult or middle grader. Because we don't have any. We got nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, so High School Musical, the musical, the series, and Yay! Ender's Game, and you're also reading Book Club, which is camp. And if you want to get in touch with us about any of those things, if you want to uh, let Joe know what your favorite episode of High School Musical, the musical, the series is, Joe, where do they find you? I'm assuming it's just the one where they sing occasionally. <laughs> I sound like I have a lot of disdain. It's kind of fun. You can find me at a beast on my remote, and that's the letter B. And if you want to get in touch with me about how I'm a monster for programming Ender's Game, you can find me at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. If you want to get both of us, it's at HKHSPod or the hashtag HKHSPod. Or for longer stuff, you can email us, HKHSPod at gmail.com. So yeah, that's where we're at. We're going to have like amazing art. And then a terrible conversation. And then we're going to learn about camping. That's yeah. the next three weeks in a nutshell. Oh, boy. What fun we've got planned. <laughs> Until next time, everybody, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the musical, high schooly, stagey things. High school musical, the musical, the series. I hate you so much. <laughs>